Let's pray this morning. Father God, just so grateful that we get to come here today and worship you. God, just the prayer of our heart today is that we wouldn't just come here and hear from me or just even just hear some words, God, but just that we just draw closer to you, that your word would come alive and would truly do something in us. Father, I just pray for every person that's here today, every heart that's bringing with them all the troubles of this week, all the pain of this week, all the anxieties of this week, all the hurts, all the doubts. And God, I, I pray that for every heart that's willing, that we would just take all those things and lay them at your throne right now. And God, that we would receive healing today. Thank you that you are a God that still heals. You are a God that heals physically, but you're also a God that heals emotionally and spiritually and makes us new in Christ Jesus. And that's our prayer today. And God, I thank you for what you're going to do because you are awesome and amazing and incredible. You are the living God. I thank you for what you're going to do in this place. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, how are we doing this morning, church? Pretty good? Yeah? I'm doing pretty good. I, I am really excited to be in this series that we're in, going through First Peter. And well, we're looking at First Peter because First Peter is a letter that Peter wrote to a group of people that lived in kind of the wild, wild west. They, they live kind of in this area where everything around them is kind of against how what they believe as followers of Jesus. Like they felt like everything they were doing was countercultural. They felt like aliens and strangers and foreigners. They felt like what they believed at their core was so much different to the core beliefs of the society that they were in. There's a lot of similarities to us today, and so I love getting to dive into this with, and look at what Peter's writing. In the first week, we talked about the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope we have in the future of eternity in heaven and, and setting our hope on the most important things. And last week, we talked about being a little weird. Some of us were better at that than others. We talked about being strangers and foreigners and uh, a unique and peculiar people. And this week we're going to continue on with that going to 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you grab your Bibles, if you open up there or click over there to 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to open up there in just a second. But, you know, speaking of being a little bit weird, I kind of grew up in a, in a homeschool family that was also a heavily Christian family out in the country. So I grew up with a lot of things that made me a little bit different and weird. And one of those things, part of being like a homeschool Christian family, if you were like listening to Christian culture in the 90s, there were a lot of people that were kind of rejecting certain things that were popular in culture. And so because of that, there were a lot of things that other kids got to watch that I didn't get to watch, which at the time I didn't like. Looking back, I, I have an amazing, incredible mom who I'm so glad that she cared enough about me. She's also here right now. So, but still, I am very grateful. But, you know, one of those things was, was Disney movies. There was a lot of Disney movies that I never got to watch. And, and I, so, I mean, literally as an adult, I would go back and watch these old movies. And I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. But I had never seen it. These things that were so popular in my day. But there was one time, my, I think my first Disney movie I ever watched, I was like five years old. And my mom had, had, had me in this group that was being babysat by this one gal. I was kind of at church. And my, my mom said it was okay if I watched the movie, but the, the gal turned on uh, The Lion King, which had, like, just come out. Brand new movie. I mean, it was just an absolutely incredible film. Have we all seen the animated Lion King? We all? Okay. I'm, I'm going to put some spoilers out there. If it is a spoiler for you, it's been out for, like, 30 years, so I'm sorry. But, you know, so we started to watch it, 
And then, and then all of a sudden, the gal calls my mom and goes, um, Julia, I think I made a mistake. So what's wrong? She said, well, see, there's this scene where um, Mufasa dies by being trampled by some um, wildebeest, and uh, your son has not stopped crying. Like, literally, she had to take me out of the room. I didn't see any more of the movie. I just started, I think it was the first time I've ever seen a character die in a film. But I was just absolutely heartbroken. So because of that, I only saw up to that point, and I never saw the rest of the movie until I was an adult. <laughs> and finally, I go back and watch it when I'm in college, and I realize this movie's awesome. There's some really amazing truths in this movie, and seeing it through an adult lens, there's a lot of really cool stuff about what it means to have identity, how, how to deal with shame and guilt and loss, responsibility in your life. And, and there's this really interesting part of the movie. If you're familiar with the film, Simba it feels responsible for his father's death, so with all this guilt and things weighing on him, he runs away, which a lot of us do as well. And he ends up living this life with these friends of his that have this motto. Anybody remember the motto? Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. Because as long as I can stay away from all the responsibilities and the things that make me feel badly, I can feel good about myself. We do that a lot as people. As long as I don't have to think about it, as long as I can drink enough, as long as I can smoke enough, as long as I can have enough things going on in my life, and I don't have to worry about the guilt and the shame over here, it just doesn't exist, right? And all of a sudden, Simba has this incredible moment where suddenly the spirit of his father shows up in the sky with the voice of James Earl Jones, which I'm assuming is very, very close to the voice of God. I think it's like this. I I can't prove that in the Bible, but I'm just pretty sure. And he says this line. He says, Simba, you've forgotten me. And his son is, is heartbroken at that. He says, Dad, how could I have possibly forgotten you? Of course I haven't. And he says, son, Simba, you've forgotten who you are, and therefore you've forgotten me. That is such a powerful line, because I think it also applies to our lives as Christians. The moment that we forget who we are in Christ, we start to forget who Christ actually is. The moment we start to lose our identity in him, we start to let the world tell us what our identity is. And therefore, we start to slip away from and start to forget who God is and what he really saved us for. Who we are in Christ matters a lot. And if we forget that, it has extreme implications in our life. That's why today I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 with you and talk about identity, because it's so incredibly important. If you pull out your Bibles, we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 2, and then we're going to start with the first four verses and then continue on. So we've already talked about the fact that we have a hope in God, a living hope. Then we talk about being holy, being different than the world. And so then Peter says, therefore, in terms of therefore, you want to know what the therefore is there for? So it's because, therefore, as people who have a hope, people who have been called holy and blameless before God, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Therefore, as little babies, crave spirit, pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up. Now, whenever I read this verse, I think about my daughter. She's, she's still at the age where she still has some milk as well as some solid food. And the other day, actually, it was actually yesterday, my, my wife had taken a nap, and she and I were just having the greatest time together, just snuggling up. She was taking a nap on me. Like, it was such a beautiful father-daughter moment. It was like, man, she just loves being with me. She just wants to be close to daddy until mom woke up. And then the moment that mom comes out of her room, it's mommy, mommy, mommy. And she goes running over. And then immediately the first thing she says, milk. I want milk. Like she's already eaten tons of food. She's already had food. But all she really wants is milk, milk, milk. In the same way, Peter's saying that we should crave milk in the same way that a child desperately craves milk, whether they get it from the bottle or from mom herself. There's this connection to that. They need this for their sustenance. They need it in so many different ways. It's just, they, it's all they think about in sometimes. And then on top of that, there, it says we're supposed to crave milk so that we may grow up. You know, my, my daughter, the three key things of being a small child is, is like, she's awesome at them. First thing is she craves milk, right, or craves food. Man, she, she is great. The next thing that children are supposed to do is grow up, right, we hope at least physically, she is so good at growing. I feel like every time I turn around, like she's getting a little bigger, she's learning a new thing. And the other thing that she, you're supposed to do as a child that she does so well is she poops really good. Like she's really good at it. She's a champion. Whew. And it's kind of what Peter's talking about here, that like newborn babies, we should crave spiritual milk. We should grow up. And then he starts off with, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Kind of like how your bodies get rid of all the things it doesn't need. He says, get rid of all the slander and the hypocrisy and the crap. So as Christians, pure, as Christians, we're supposed to crave the spiritual milk of God, crave for sustenance from him. What is the sustenance from God? That's his word. That's his Holy Spirit. That's worshiping of him. That's spending time with him. The things that help you to grow, we're supposed to grow up and we're supposed to get rid of anything that doesn't look like him. Those are really three major keys. But then in that, so that's, that's a key to being a child of God. That's what it looks like to be God's child, is that you continually get your sustenance from him. That you continually walk with him. That you continually grow in him. And you continually get rid of those things, as the Holy Spirit tells you, don't look like who he's called you to be. But then he continues on. Because see, as God's children, there's some pieces of identity that we're called to grow up in. And so we're going to look at the rest of chapter 2 here, if you join me. He says... Next verse, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Turn to someone and say, you're chosen and precious. Chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, See I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, that the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, it's the stone the builders rejected and has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I want to break this down. See, there's been a lot of studies over the last years that have shown that your self-image, how you see yourself, has a really strong implication on the actions in your life. Like, for instance, if you see yourself as a loser, there's a really good chance that you're going to lose a lot in life or you're going to act like a loser. If you see yourself on the other side of that as as a winner, as someone, man, I, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to do this. There, there's a lot of studies that show that, man, those people, more times than not, have more of a tendency to win and do well. If you see yourself as a victim in life, there's a good chance you're going to be victimized a lot. How you see yourself, if you see yourself as worthless, you're going to let people treat you as if you have no worth. If you see yourself as having worth, you're gonna, it's going to change how you let others treat you. Your self-perception, your self-worth, your self-esteem, they tend to be governing factors in your life. This isn't anything new. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, it says in Proverbs. See, the thing is, there's so many truths that people believe in their life that just aren't true. You ever have somebody in your life who just has some stinking thinking in their life? That's just ruining everything for them. And what I find is there's a lot of people that came to believe something as a child that has gone into the rest of their life. Like, they don't even know it, but there was something that was said. There was a parent that said, you're worthless. There was a teacher that said, you won't amount to anything, and they've carried this with them, and they don't even realize it, but they're fighting desperately to prove somebody wrong that's dead, that isn't even around anymore, but that person is still controlling their life. And in the same way, as children of God, as we grow up in Him, there are some key things we need to look at, some key truths to, under, to be able to reveal what lies we're believing in our life. So we're going to look at some key truths we get out of this passage. The first one is this. It's that I am acceptable. Turn to someone around you and say, listen, I'm acceptable. I'm glad you're here today. See, each and every person has a deep-rooted desire to be accepted. Would we all agree with that? Pretty much everybody, right? Thing is, this is all over our world that we see that, that people understand that people want to be accepted. It's how, it's how political movements start. It's how marketing works in so many ways. You ever notice that with marketing? It's all about, man, don't you want to be like this person? Man, if you, if you the most basic commercial in the world, right, is, hey, Michael Jordan wears these shoes. The implication is if you wear these shoes... You'll be like Michael Jordan. I tried it. I just sucked in nice shoes. But there's all these things, right? It's just the gym. We don't even necessarily recognize it sometimes, right? We just see these commercials, and sometimes we don't even think about the fact that, yeah, kind of the implication there is that I'm going to be like them if I buy that or drink that or do that. 
Because we want these things in our life. We want to be accepted. You ever done something completely stupid just to get, get somebody's acceptance? Anybody? Am I the only person here? Come on. The only person that has done something really stupid to get somebody's acceptance? Come on. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. The rest of you, I don't know if you're telling the truth or not, but that's fine. But, you know, there was this one moment where uh, I was on a young adult camping trip. And, uh, well, there was this girl I thought was really pretty. And uh, all of a sudden, we're out in the Black Hills. And she, there, we're, we're, like, at this lake. And it's Horse Thief Lake, if you're familiar with it. And there's this little bluff that you can jump off into the water. And let me tell you a little something about me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm down with heights. Like, I'm okay with heights. Jumping off heights... Not so much. So I'm the guy that can climb to the top, but I don't really want to jump off and hit the bottom. That's just not something I like doing. Well, this pretty girl says, hey, let's go jump off the cliff. And I'm like, well, sure. So I go climbing with this pretty girl up to the top of the cliff. And all of a sudden I get up there and she jumps. And now I'm all alone, except there's this kid up there that he, he was with a separate family, but everybody's kind of cheering at him like, hey, come on, go, go. And he, you can tell he's just locked up and shaking. He just can't do it. And so I start talking to him. He gives me an excuse not to jump. So I start talking to him and like, hey, man, you okay? He's like, it's just really high. And I was like, yeah, man, I get it. I said, you know what? I'm only up here because I thought that girl was really, really pretty. But now that she's all the way down here and I'm all the way up here, she's not looking as pretty. Well, to, long story short, I, I jumped, I married that girl, and we have two kids. So now, I'm not jumping off of anything ever again. I did my jumping. But, you know, I've had a lot of moments in my life where I've jumped off of cliffs to get people's acceptance that hasn't ended so well. I've seen a lot of people dive off cliffs in life just to get someone to accept them, and it's ended really, really badly because they hit a lot of stuff when they hit the bottom. I've heard a, a quote before that if you live your life for other people's acceptance, you're going to die by their rejection. If you live your life wanting other people to accept you and looking for them to give you value and meaning in life, the moment that's taken away, then a piece of your life dies. But it says in verses 4 and 5 that as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Offering spiritual sacrifices. I love, there's so many different amazing things in here. He says we're, we're living stones, just like Jesus. We're precious to God. We're a part of a spiritual house God is using us as living stones to create something amazing as a part of his church. We're a part of a royal priesthood. That's a really big deal. I'm going to get to it in a second. But we're offering acceptable offerings to God. See, in, in that day, from the beginning of the Levitical law, the sacrifices of the people was a really, really big deal. Because it wasn't just a moment that you came and said, okay, I'm sorry. But it was a moment where these were the people that were able to go before God. These were the people that were able to have communion with him on behalf of the people. It was a really, really big deal. Because of that, the, the things that they had to do in their life were extremely strict. Like they had extreme levels of cleanliness and appearance and things that they had to make sure were absolutely perfect to be able to come before God. 
Like if they were, if they broke some of these laws, like if they accidentally were in the same room as a dead body, they couldn't sacrifice for a period of time. There were all these things that over and over they had to make sure that were absolutely perfect. But yet God says here that now we are able to offer acceptable offerings to God. We're not having to go and make sure we're perfectly clean or make sure everything is perfectly in order. Because of Jesus, we are God's children. Because of Jesus, we're able to offer these sacrifices to him. That's really, really cool. I get to go and have a relationship with God, not because of anything that I do, but because of how awesome he is. And that's the key. My offering to God is not acceptable to him because of my own awesomeness or greatness. The Bible says my righteousness is as good as filthy rags before God. The thing is, it's Jesus' work on the cross that has done what has allowed me to have this relationship with him. The, cor- the, the curtain has been torn, and now I can step into a relationship with him and offer acceptable offerings to him kind of reminds me of my my children when they want to come and help me out with my projects around the house we're working on some things in our home trying to build a bathroom and my daughter especially loves to help come downstairs daddy i help i help okay okay you you okay you can help me um can you give me a screwdriver can you give me a screwdriver yeah just that the screw yeah that that screwdriver yep that's that's the screwdriver. Can you pick it up and hand it to me? Yeah, the screw. Yeah, this right here. This screwdriver. Yeah, yeah. Can you come and bring that to me? Can you come and bring it to me? Yeah, yeah. No, get that out of your mouth. Okay, screwdriver. Screwdriver. Thank you. <gasps> Thank you for bringing me the screwdriver. Thank you. Good job. It's an acceptable sacrifice to me. Not just because I want to patronize my daughter, because I want her to learn how to be helpful. I want her to learn how to be useful, so I'm excited for her. Thank you. Thank you for having a heart that wants to serve. I'm so excited for that, and sometimes I think that's how I look to God when the Holy Spirit is trying to get me to do things. Sometimes it's like, okay, Tim, I need you to love this person. Yeah, this person right here. Yep, know this person. You take that dirty word out of your mouth. You go love this person right here. Come on. And then I do it, and I think God in heaven's like, yeah, good job. Way to go. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I haven't done much. But when I have a heart that says, God, I want to serve you, I'll do anything. God, help me to to be a better servant of you. That's an offering that's acceptable to him. So because of that, I'm able to please God with my actions. Because Not because of anything that I do that's so great, but because God has in heaven has already washed me with the blood of his son and made me able to have amazing, acceptable sacrifices to him. I'm accepted by God because God has already accepted me. That's amazing news. God has accepted me. Unfortunately, there's so many people who seem to believe that I have to earn God's acceptance. And you see it in the way that they pray. You see it in the way that they talk to God. You see it in the way they interact with others. That They believe that I just have to wash myself up a little more. I've got to still be a good boy or a good girl. I've just got to be enough for God. And the thing is, we'll never be enough for God. We'll never be enough. We'll never be able to gain God's acceptance because it was already given to us on the cross. The problem is, as Jesus said, we have to take up our cross each and every day. If, I'm not go- if my old self is not going on the cross and something in me isn't dying, then the death of Jesus can't actually do anything with me. But when I understand that I've been accepted, I find that it changes everything in my life. If we go to verse 9, 
It says that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Understanding that I am chosen and accepted by God will always lead to us worshiping God. When I truly understand that there is a God in heaven who saw me and everything that I had going on in my life and all of my sin and all of my brokenness and said, listen, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross so that he and I can have relationship together, not because of anything great that he's done, but because I love him that much. That changes everything. That's a reason to worship. That's a reason to say, praise God. That's absolutely amazing. And the problem, I think, though, is there's a lot of people in our world who have trouble worshiping. They have trouble living lives of worship. They have trouble when it, when it comes to going to church or reading their Bible. They just they don't, aren't feeling it. And sometimes I think it's because they don't truly understand the fact that they're accepted. And they keep trying to look for acceptance everywhere else. And so, of course, God's Word, God's church, God's Holy Spirit, it's not doing it in their life. Because really what they're looking for is to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant, from everywhere else in the world. And they're not looking for it over here. And God isn't able to, to do anything and give them that life in life to the full until it feels like it's not really working because they don't understand that God has already accepted them and wants us to stop looking for it everywhere else. The second thing I, I see out of this passage is so important is the fact that I am valuable. I am valuable to God. It, we just read it a second ago that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That word holy gets lost on us, but it means to be set apart. It means truly something special. And then it says God's special possession. Do you know, you are truly valuable to God. Do you know what makes something valuable? Have you ever watched like Pawn Stars or Antique Roadshow? Whenever you watch through a lot of those things, there, there's some key factors that make something valuable. One of the biggest ones is who owns it or who owned it, right? Like if I have a guitar and it was owned by Elvis Presley or someone else, it suddenly has a lot more value, right? But what's the second big thing? The second big thing of, of what makes something valuable is very, very, very important. A lot of people forget. See, if I have Abraham Lincoln's bedpan, I might not be able to sell that for very much, right? It might be valuable historically, but if no one's willing to pay for it, then it's not that valuable, is it? In the same way, what makes something valuable is, first of all, who owns it and what someone is truly willing to pay for it. What I love about God's word is it makes it so clear. And we see in Jesus' life that God not only owns us as believers in Christ. We belong to him. We're God's special possession. But the fact is, Jesus paid everything for you. Jesus gave us everything everything he was he, he didn't just talk about how much he loved us it wasn't like that antique roadshow show where they say yeah this is worth a million dollars and they're like great will you give me a million dollars and they're like no bye 
Like, it's not just some abstract idea that, yeah, God loves you. Jesus said, no, I'll pay it on the cross. I'll give everything. I'll put my blood, my sweat, my tears, my life on the line for you because you mean that much to me. That is absolutely incredible, church. We serve a God that doesn't just talk about how much he loves us. He gave us everything. So we have a God who owns us, that we belong to, that paid everything for us. We are valuable. And if you ever feel like you're not, I pray that you come back to this passage in God's word and just be reminded of that. I pray if you're going through a season of your life right now where you feel like you don't have a lot of value, like you don't have a lot to contribute. Maybe you don't have a lot to contribute. Maybe you are kind of empty right now, but thanks be to God that we serve a God who has a Holy Spirit that can fill us up when we're empty, that can give us value value when we feel invaluable, can give us love when we're not receiving love from anywhere else. We serve a God that absolutely and totally loves us and gives us value outside of ourselves. We are valuable, church. The third thing is this, that I am capable. I am capable Back to verse 9 and 10, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's interesting. This word royal priesthood, he uses twice in this passage. And this this would have been a kind of a kind of a provocative word in that day to use. Because up to, to that point, the word priest was a holy and revered word. These were the set-apart, chosen people that God spoke to and spoke through. They weren't like those common folk. And now all of a sudden, Peter's right. No, you're a part of the priesthood. You are a part of this. It's not about your birth or what tribe you're from or what tongue you speak, but you are a part of the priesthood of God, the priesthood of believers. See, the priests in the day, going back to the Levitical law, they had the right, the privilege, the responsibility to go directly to God on the behalf of the people. They also had the privilege and responsibility of representing God to the people and ministering and serving to the needs of other people. And so because of that, because of Christ, we as believers can do these two things. We get to go directly to God. In that day, there was a curtain that was hung up that would separate the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, the, the part of the temple that was, that was where God's presence dwelt, that separated from the people. And only the, the specific priest could go into that. And it says, if you read the Gospels, that as Jesus was crucified, that that curtain was torn in half, which was a huge symbolic moment of the fact that now the curtain is torn. Now the gap that that existed between us and God is gone. And we can come, as Hebrews says, boldly before his throne, bringing everything that's going on in our life. It's absolutely amazing. So as priests of God, we can go directly to God. But also on top of that, we have the ability then to speak what God has spoken to us or what his word has spoken to us to go and minister to others out of that relationship with him. As we go and have relationship with him, we can go and minister just like the priests of old would go and we get to go invite people into this relationship with God. See, the word priest in Latin means 
bridge, and just as the priest was the bridge between God and the people of Israel, we are called as the priesthood of believers to be the bridge between God and other people around us who don't know Jesus. Other people who are broken and hurting and lost in the world. See, the thing is, God didn't save you just for you. I mean, have you ever wondered about that? Like, why is it that, I mean, the moment I accept Jesus, why can't he just, boom, take me home, Scotty? Because there's someone else out there that needs to know Jesus. There's someone that needs to be blessed and ministered to by your gifts. One of the things I have found is that a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. If you're not serving, then what in the world were we saved for? The Bible says that we're God's masterpiece, that he's, put, he's creating to go and do good works. And I'm, just, I'm so thankful. I see so many different ways that Christians in our church serve. And I'm so thankful for it. There's so many that will go and, and serve meals. Man, all everybody who's done Meals on Wheels or served with the Daily Bread Food Pantry, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for, for so many of you who use your talents here in the church in so many different ways. John and Lisa, I appreciate you guys. Can we turn around and tell John and Lisa how awesome they are? I really appreciate them. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for, man, anyone that serves in kids, I'll tell you what. I, I don't know if anyone else's kids is getting anything, but my kid keeps coming home and telling me all about Bible stories that I've never told him about. He just keeps going off on rants. And sometimes monster trucks get inter, you know, intersected in there. So it's like, and Peter and Jesus and monster trucks and grave digger. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what's going on here. But he's picking stuff up. And so if you're serving kids with my kid, I'm sorry for everything he does. But gosh, I'm thankful for you. You know, every week we have an opportunity just to go up here and have snacks and fellowship together. For those of you that just go and, and put your hard work into saying, you know, preparing those snacks, bringing those snacks, buying those snacks, making them, whatever you do, and going and just serving and doing all these things, it's so important. Because I'll tell you what, there's so much life change that happens around those tables as we sit in fellowship. Because my hope is that we don't just do church to go, okay, bye, see you next week. But we actually have time that we get to like, talk to each other and love one another and be a family. And I just, oh, I love that about this church. I see so many different people who use their gifts in this church. And I just want to tell you, if you ever feel like you don't have gifts, I found that every single person has a gift or something that God wants to do through you. There's something you can do. Man, at a church that I grew up, grew up at for many years, it was a little more Pentecostal church. So, like, worship took a long time because um, something about the Spirit, he can't be done in an hour. I don't know what it is. But, like, the more Pentecostal you are, if you grew up really Pentecostal, you know this. But, like, the more Pentecostal you are, the longer the service is. So, like, the, the, the worship time was quite a long time. And there was this gal that would come around, and, and, and she had some different um, uh, handicaps that, that she didn't really speak very well or speak a lot. But she, one thing she could do was hug. Man, she could hug. And so she would go around, and she would hug every single person. She would just go up and down the aisles and hug every single person. It was always funny because she just had this mindset, nothing bad about it. Just, she just kind of had this mindset, like, I'm going to hug you, whether you want it or not. And so it'd be funny. You'd be kind of like worshiping. you got your eyes closed. She was a short gal. And, and she'd be like right here. And I'd be kind of going. And, and all of a sudden I looked down. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, she just wait. I'm just going to wait until you open your eyes. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to hug you. And at first, you know, as a teenager, you can kind of make jokes about it. Oh, yeah, here she comes for a hug again. But then I, 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 there was a period where I actually went back here uh, not that long ago. And she was there just hugging everybody in the aisles. 
it just, oh, it just warmed my heart. That man, that's her thing. That's her ministry. Man, is it, I, I, I may not be able to go preach the message, but I'm going to make sure that you physically feel some love today. I'm going to give you a hug. Like, that's just so, so cool. And the fact is, we all have different ways that we've been gifted by God. It can be as simple as giving someone a hug and a smile. Or it can be as complex as loving on crazy kids and teaching them God's word. There's, there's always something for each and every one of us. And on top of that, there's something in the church and there's also something out of the church. Each and every one of us have an oikos, a, a family, a, 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 an area that we've been put in, in our job, our, our physical family, our neighborhood, where God has given us people that we can reach for Jesus and be the light of Jesus to. And if we truly, as we truly grow in this identity of being a priesthood of believers, how can we be the bridge to people around us? Problem is, a lot of times we, we act a lot less like the priesthood of believers, and we act more like just the comers and takers. A lot of, a lot of Christians I know have, have man, they, they were on fire at one point, and they still love that spiritual milk. They're like, but there's just no growing happening. They just keep drinking and drinking and coming to church, but then nothing actually grows up in their life. The biggest reason for that, I think, is because they suffer from a loss of identity. They don't understand who they are in Christ, and they start finding themselves in their identity and everything else around them. I don't know if you've ever had a loved one who has suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's. Have you ever had that painful moment of, looking a loved one in the eyes who's known you your whole life and they brought you into this world and having them not understand who you are or at least completely understand. And maybe they're confused and they're angry and there's just so much pain in that. I, there was a video I watched here a while back that just oh broke my heart of this young guy. And he's talking to his daughter and his daughter keeps calling him dad. And he's like, why do you keep calling me dad? And then finally he just breaks down. He's like, I'm so sorry. I don't want to hurt you. I just don't know who you are. There, there's nothing, in my opinion, more painful than watching someone forget who they are. And it's also very painful to watch that when that happens to someone spiritually. The pain of someone not understanding who they are in Christ and trying to be someone else. You wonder how many times God has those painful moments with us. He's like, I, I made you for something more. And we're sitting there going, who are you? We're looking to the world going, who am I? God's going, if you just let me tell you who you are. There's a moment in Revelation when Jesus is writing, and he's writing to all of these churches. And he, he's writing to each one. And a lot of them are really getting the business. If you're reading through them all, this, this one is for, kind of far down in there. And so you're, you're probably reading through them all. And if you're, it's not your church, you're like, oh, good. Whew, that's not us. Like, there, there's some very scathing things happening. But then he says to one church, he says, listen, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. All right, we're starting off good. Okay, guys, whoo, we're clear. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked, wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's a really good thing to have, you know, get down your report card from Jesus, right? Now, let's just stop there and go home. But, yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. 
Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He says, listen, you're doing all these things so well. I mean, you're doing the things. You're fighting against false teaching. You're testing what's going on over here. You're persevering. You're doing the work. You're sweating. You're grinding. But you lost the love. Like you lost that relationship with me, that connection to me. You've lost your identity as a child of God. You're not walking with me as you once did. You're not walking as someone who's been chosen and anointed by me. You're walking as someone who's doing everything else that the world says. And you're trying to grind and sweat and make yourself good in my sight. But if you don't have love, as Paul says, I'm just a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. I am nothing. And so maybe for some of us today, as we talk about identity, you might find that your identity has become rooted in your job. Your identity has become rooted in what other people say about you. Your, your identity has become rooted in the good things that you do that people can see. Maybe it's become rooted in your children. Maybe it's become rooted in your hobbies. Or even just what you think of yourself. If you feel good, then you're good. If you don't, then you're not. I want to encourage us today that maybe for the first time, or maybe it's coming back for you, but to to step into the love of Jesus today and allow him to define your identity. Because he wants to make your he wants to define you and who you are in him. And so today I want to invite you, maybe if you've never started a relationship with him, as we bow our heads today, I want to invite you to take this moment to say, God, I want you to have everything. I want to have this love from you and have it change everything in my life. And God, if there's any of us today today who are taking that step forward, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, or maybe just as you wrote here in Revelation, we're having to step back to that love we once knew. God, first of all, we repent of the times that we try to define our identity on our own, that we try to make it all about ourselves or other people. God, forgive us for the moments that we take anything in this life and put it above you, because we know that's idolatry. So God, we repent of it right now in the name of Jesus. And God, pray that those chains would fall off of us and we'd be able to walk in the freedom of who you are, God, and who you've said that we are. Help us to walk as a people who are accepted and loved and valuable to you. God, thank you for who you are and how you're working in this place. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we're going to respond by worshiping together today. And as always, if you're making a decision today or maybe you just need some prayer in some area, we're going to have people at either cross that would absolutely love to pray with you. Church, I love you. You are valuable. You're accepted. And you are a royal part of a royal priesthood. Amen, church? Let's worship together.